My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he arrived again in the temple area, and all the people started coming to him. He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him so that they could have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. But when they continued asking him, he strained up and said to them, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And in response, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. So he was left alone with the woman before him. Then Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, No one, sir. Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. The Gospel of the Lord. Was someone to offer me $10,000 if I were to answer the question, who were the nominees for Best Actress in last week's Academy Awards? Or to name the films that were in competition for Best Picture? Or even offer me $100,000 to name who actually won? I'd be very frustrated right now because I legitimately don't have an answer to any of those questions. In fact, when I was telling this to my brother the other night that I didn't know the four films that were up for Best Picture, he said, you're not kidding, there are eight. So that tells you I really have no idea. But if a random stranger were to bump into me and say, hey, so what's the story about Chris Rock and Will Smith? I could speak about that in greater detail and for far longer than the actual two minutes that the whole episode played out in real time. And I know it was two minutes from the countless videos that went viral last week that I saw numerous times. How Chris Rock, as he's presenting the award for Best Documentary at the 2022 Academy Awards last Sunday, makes the joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada Smith, having a shaved head. How she rolled her eyes, how Will Smith seemed to laugh and smile at it. And then moments later, got up from his seat, walked on stage right towards Chris Rock, smacked him in the face. Now, Chris Rock tried to nervously laugh it off as Smith returned to his seat and then proceeded screaming at him, shouting vulgarities and saying Rock was never to mention his wife's name. It's pretty pathetic. Both what happened and that I can recount all that. Because purportedly, the Oscars are about celebrating the best of the best in Hollywood. And I can't give you any information about any of that. 
not for nothing, Hollywood, the awards, the whole thing. It's not an interest of mine. I got back from our evening mass last week. I was watching Bob's Burgers, you know. <laughs> I was making some phone calls. I was reading a few emails. And then all of a sudden, I start seeing all these headlines on social media about Will Smith and Chris Rock. And at first, I didn't really care. And more and more people started chiming in online. And then a friend texted me and said, did you see this? So before I knew it, I'm watching the video myself. And then I found myself being drawn into the debates and the discussions about what happened ever since. Was it real? Was it staged? People are still arguing about that on my Facebook page. Reports are saying that officials at the awards show wanted him to leave and that Will Smith refused. Police from LAPD were saying that they were on site, they were ready to arrest him, but Chris Rock wouldn't press charges, but he can change his mind on that any time. And as the week wore on, the, the focus shifted to whose side are you on? Are you defending Will Smith for standing up for his wife and being emotional because she reportedly has alopecia, which is a medical condition that results in baldness, which is why she shaved her head? Or are you on Chris Rock's side saying he made a stupid joke in a night full of them and such a reaction is always unacceptable? Just so you know, the New York Post is running that poll. Right now, Will Smith is actually winning. For a week, this has been one of the biggest topics of conversation. My point isn't to help continue to keep this trending, but rather to ask, why do we fall for it every single time? Where we delude ourselves that this needs our attention, that this is the outrage that needs to be addressed. We fall for the lie that this is a serious, thoughtful discussion of right and wrong. We enter into these, these debates, whether it's between Hollywood actors or some nameless woman caught in adultery, like we find in today's gospel. The scribes and the Pharisees bringing this woman before Jesus caught in adultery pretend that this is a discussion about righteousness. And we can say pretend because there's so many questions right from the outset. For one, is this just a setup? Have they enlisted this woman just to present this scenario to Jesus to try to put him in a bind? Because if Jesus agreed with the law of Moses that those caught in adultery should be stoned to death, the Roman officials would have arrested him and saying that you're undermining our rule, our authority, our power. But if Jesus advocated for dismissing the law of Moses, the scribes and the Pharisees could turn to the crowds and say, see, he is a heretic, he is a blasphemer, which truth be told they were doing anyway. So it was likely that they were simply interested in trapping Jesus rather than dealing with the serious sin of adultery. Because if the woman was caught in the very act of adultery, she wasn't alone, so where's the guy? Mosaic law would have said that they both deserved that punishment for committing that sin. But let's pause there for a second, though, because that's an important second to pause at. Our ears don't like to hear this, that adultery was ever listed as a capital offense punishable by death, do we? That's so harsh, we think. That's the mean God of the Old Testament that Jesus completely annihilates with this very gospel scene, right? The same Jesus who says elsewhere, judge not lest ye be judged, as we fall into sight in the King James Version of the Bible, 
demonstrating that we've heard that quote more than we've actually read or reflected on that whole gospel scene. But that's a discussion for another day. Why was this a big deal? Why was adultery ever considered punishable by death? Because God is serious when he tells people that sin is a big deal. And that if we don't treat it like a big deal, it can mean a fate worse than physical death. Namely, eternity separated from him, being in hell. And yes, newsflash, hell is a real thing that exists. It's the reason Jesus comes to save us from hell. When the Lord first called Moses to lead his people and gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he was calling the people of Israel to show the world what it meant that they were intimately bound for all eternity with the Lord God of heaven and earth. That being in covenant with him made them different. Different and special because of God and him alone. The difference he makes, the specialness that sets them apart from all the peoples of the earth in calling them to pursue holiness and righteousness. Adultery was, is a serious offense that undermines that whole community. It attacks the sacred bond of a husband and wife. It has devastating effects on the children of the family or the families. The ripple effects extends to the extended family, causing division and debate and picking of sides and justifications and people looking for loopholes and people looking to assign blame. And the distraction that such an affair not could would wreak havoc on so many others outside just the man and the woman caught in that sinful act. So it is serious and needed to be dealt with seriously. Stoning, capital punishment seems extreme to us, and it is. It's no longer an acceptable response. But the only way that we can get to a place of determining that, that it is an extreme response, is actually having a moral code to live by, which at that point in the Old Testament, that world did not have a moral code. That was the whole point. The Ten Commandments was a way of introducing that to a broken, sinful humanity. And while we today rightly reject stoning for adultery, just like the Old Testament adage of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we don't do that anymore. At the time, for the people who were wild and reckless, where the only rules and the only laws and the only morals were based on superstition and survival of the fittest, where women were treated as property, where children were an afterthought at best. These were measured ways of God's laws and as a people living under them to be tamed and trained, to call people to to think differently, to live differently, to become holy. To be his people required a radical reshifting of things. They were given these commandments from the Lord God. All ten of them were these massive shifts for the people of that day and age to come to know and more importantly to follow him. So these penalties, whether it was stoning or the eyes for eyes and tooth for tooth, they were actually measured ways of introducing justice into a lawless world. Ultimately with the focus being on that essential call to reject sin and to pursue holiness. That was a thousand years before we get to Jesus in today's gospel scene. 
and a whole lot of history has happened in between. At this point, the law was known, as was that concept of justice. The call to holiness, while still difficult for people to navigate, they had reflected on it, they understood that. And there were numerous examples of failures on the part of the people of God, individually as well as collectively, which make up the whole bulk of that big section of the Old Testament, of all those books and chapters. But at this point in history, after centuries of prophets, experiences of of mercy and redemption that were done at God's hand, these extreme punishments weren't necessary. But that never changed the eternal truth that God was serious about the commandments. And even more, that his people needed to be single-minded and focused on rooting out sin. So back to this particular day in this gospel. The scribes and Pharisees aren't interested in the scandal of adultery. Nor are they looking interiorly at what areas are scandalous in their own lives that they need to reject. They're simply interested in trapping Jesus. Sadly, many modern-day scribes and Pharisees can be equally as manipulative and just as dangerous in the other extreme by saying, we can't call anything a sin. We can't talk about morals or judge anything as evil, which is ludicrous. Jesus is pretty clear as he says to the woman, the very last lines in today's gospel, whether she actually committed adultery or was just a pawn in this trap that they were trying to set for him, either of which things would have been sinful. He very clearly says to them, do not sin anymore. And lest we forget, Jesus is pretty consistent about that throughout the Gospels identifying sin and eliminating it from our lives, whether it's through a parable or some dramatic hyperbolic examples like saying, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus is not saying the guilty are guiltless. And it's a complete distortion of who he is and what he has said to say otherwise. So for us here and now, it would be foolish to ignore that Will Smith acted atrociously. That Chris Rock said something very stupid and hurtful. And that a lot of what passes for comedy today and jokes could fall into that category for that matter. Nor should it be ignored that Will Smith and his wife openly boasting about their open marriage, where they brag about committing adultery... That's atrocious too. (laughs) And just playing armchair psychologist here, perhaps that's one contributing factor to what we witnessed last Sunday. But I digress. We're not to call those guilty of public crimes and sins guiltless. And yes, there are responsibilities as a society that we owe to one another that are affected by those things that need to be adjudicated. Crimes need to be condemned and punished. People need to know what's right and wrong. What's unacceptable? People need to be protected from evil behaviors. But our primary focus isn't meant to be on what everybody else is doing, but what are you and I doing? And that's the brilliance of what Jesus does in response to this trap. He doesn't dismiss any sin as not a big deal, while at the same time, he pulls us away from our being maniacally obsessed and distracted to the point of just condemning others while we ignore 
all that needs the most attention, what's happening in ourselves, or even what's not happening. What sins have we become defensive of and protective of that we're ready to pounce, judge not lest we be judged if anyone mentions something about them? What behaviors do we pretend Jesus is, is defending as we're ready to misquote, let the one among you without sin be the first to cast the first stone to justify our not breaking a bad habit or asking for help, and most especially going to God in the confession of the sacrament of reconciliation, admitting our sins and our need for his mercy. The beautiful words from the prophet Isaiah in that first reading has the Lord God saying to us, it's important to remember the past. Yes, where we have come from, and more importantly, the mighty acts that God himself did to save his people, those are important, beautiful things. But we're not to stay in the past. We're not there anymore. See, I am doing something new, God says. And in that second reading, in his letter to the Philippians, St. Paul testifies to the truth of that in his own life. Paul, who would, before his conversion, would have been right there with those scribes and Pharisees trying to conspire to how do we trap Jesus rather than deal with what was going on in his heart and soul. Now he sees that truth. That's why he says that all of his maniacal focus on externals, he calls it rubbish. Goodness, righteousness comes from living a life of faith, from single-mindedness on Jesus, on his death and resurrection by sharing his suffering and being conformed to his death. That's what Lent has been all about. Those three pillars that we keep talking about, fasting and prayer and giving. That's our our suffering in those minor deaths that help us to keep that focus. That's why they're not just Lent things, by the way. They're meant to be all-time things. But just for now, even if we've struggled this Lent, these readings are meant to kind of shake us up and invite us to join Paul forgetting what lies behind and rather straining forward to what lies ahead, pursuing the goal of Christ Jesus. It's the devil who wants to keep us falling for his lies on discussions of what is right and wrong, while at the same time twisting Jesus' words to say you can never call something a sin. It's the devil who wants to distract us with the latest thing trending that always draws our focus on someone else rather than looking within. I'm embarrassed I knew so much about Will and Jada Smith and Chris Rock and some very ugly and difficult things about their lives and their stories. These are people that most likely I will never even meet. And as we've seen time and time again, it's doubtful that anything meaningful is going to come from the hours of discussion and debate that's consumed international discourse. It's a distraction from what really matters. And what matters is Jesus, who is God incarnate, who is mercy, who lays down his life so we don't have to suffer because of our sins. As we enter into these last two weeks of Lent and the focus shifts more intentionally on on his passion, death, and resurrection, there could be no greater reminder that he doesn't condemn us but he doesn't want us to sin anymore. I don't know about you, 
but that definitely needs to be a full-time job for me.